This is Marisha from Coruscant Radio Underground. And this is Iana from the Padawan Report. And this is the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast, your source for everything going on in that galaxy far, far away. And that's the Scuttlebutt. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. And welcome one and all to episode number 82 of the Scare Scuttlebutt podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Ro. Want you guys to hit that subscribe button and make sure you don't miss a single episode of our deep dives, our quick cuts, and all of the fun scare shenanigans here. As always, I am joined tonight by my trusty co-host. What's your name again? <laughs> you keep changing it. I was actually thinking about changing it to General Shinobi <laughs> oh, next week. Oh, to confuse everybody. Absolutely. How you doing, Shanti? Uh, struggling to stay awake. No, stay awake, stay away. No, this is this is a good topic. I have thoughts, and apparently <laughs> so does my mother. Excellent, excellent. Looking forward to that. Uh, it feels like it's been a rough week, and it's only Monday, right? Wow. God, boy, is that true. That is so true. I've been listening to some new episodes from our friends. Uh, I just finished another Star Wars podcast. They had Sean talking with Charles and Tizod about the High Republic. And if you can, if if you get up and grab a drink, you might miss Todd doing a wonderful impression of of Cruella. It's quite <laughs> fascinating. Yep, absolutely. You got to check it out. But you know what? I'm pretty psyched to do this show, Shanti. Not going to lie. You know why? Several why? reasons. <laughs> One, we are going to be talking about vigilantes in movies and comics and films and things like that. Uh, second reason, we are going to be giving away a digital movie code for Batman Soul of the Dragon. If and we can. If we can. <laughs> let's see if uh, people will respond. And the uh, the best part of this is that we are teaming up with one of my favorite peoples, the Science Fictionary slash Coruscant Radio Underground, headed up by Grillmeister himself, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew uh, was sharing some pulled pork pictures in the Red 5 group chat this weekend. Say that 10 times fast. And gave me the best. That's what she said. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Looks like we're heading down to you for ScarifCon 2022 yeah. next week, yeah. next uh, next year. Keep grilling, my friend. Yeah. How are you? How are you, I'm, man? I'm doing good. I'm I'm glad to be here. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll still eventually, you know, hashtag Red Five Cookout. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Those pictures looked good, and I bet you it tasted even better. It did. So uh, I wanted to ask you guys before we get into the main topic, uh, have you guys uh, kept up on any Star Wars news or any geek fandom type news? Anything come to mind? While you guys are thinking, uh, I just read that Diego Luna just mentioned that supposedly the Cassian series has wrapped. So uh, things are uh, starting to bubble up on the Cassian thing. Yeah, very (laughs) exciting. Similar schedule to Kenobi. I think they also started uh, or just finished uh, shooting. So uh, that's pretty exciting. I'm. Uh, he also said that we might see some familiar faces. So I uh, just put out a tweet that uh, asked folks uh, who they want to see in the Cassian series. And I know a lot of people are, you know, talking about Darth Vader, maybe mm-hmm. uh, 
Krennic. Uh, so we're uh, I'm very I'm looking forward to it very much. So what do you guys think? Who do you think we'll see in the Cassian series? Oh, I think we're seeing a I think we're seeing a young Leia. I, I think oh, that's almost that would be awesome. I think that's almost a done deal to see her first uh, yeah. kind of becoming involved in the rebellion. That just gave me the chills. And uh, anybody watching uh, the Vision series, the uh, Star Wars anime stuff? I'm on episode five. Yeah. Five? Uh, I finished them. I watched them all the first day. Or I guess I finished. I've watched half the first day, half the second day. What do you think? They grew on me a little bit as I went. The first, I watched the first three and I just was like, I just, I don't feel it. I'm just not. Right. I, I just can't get into it. I did, after I kind of watched the rest, I started going, okay, some of this, I'm liking some of this better. I went back and watched the first three, and I appreciated them a little more on second watch, kind of once I got my head into what they were doing. Um, I think there's, I think they're interesting. I think what's interesting about them, though, is that makes me, make some of them better than others, is you're taking because the, the idea behind these was to be non-canon and kind of a re-envisioning. And I, and I love, I love, I, I'd have no problem with the, the non-canon thing and have no problem getting my head around that, but you're kind of taking star Wars and you're distilling it down to one of its many ingredients. And it's like, how far can you go that way before it's not really star Wars anymore? Yeah. And I feel like, and I feel like some of them did better with that than others. I feel like some of them, I watch it and go, okay, that feels very star Wars with a, a different twist. And then some of them feel very anime. And if you took a couple of elements out, it wouldn't even be star Wars. Right. And, uh, the third one I think comes to mind, the one with the band at Jabba, yeah. the Hutt's, right. Yeah. Right. That one was a uh, straight so anime out of the eighties. Mm -hmm. And somebody had said that it said that uh, they mentioned that that episode seemed like it was a lost animated series from the eighties from their childhood. <laughs> um, and I get it. I think that first one was uh, it took me, it took me a couple of uh, tries to really absorb what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, uh, I think one of our, one of our red fibers is also having problems with it. Uh, Jeff uh, at uh, blue milk cafe and, you know, I, I think if you look at it as, you know, one-offs, uh, I think you can appreciate them better. And obviously, if you're not a fan of anime, then it kind of goes over your head. Not that the stories aren't identifiable or relatable, but anime definitely has a certain style uh, of, of storytelling, um, which I, I, I think is very interesting. I think it's, you know, it's something that the Western audience is not really used to as far as mainstream. Mm -hmm. It's, you know anime has uh has its uh fans definitely but it it truly is kind of like an eastern thing you know uh anime coming in from from japan etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's it's very right. unique in that style so i feel the opposite i really enjoy it and one of the thoughts that i had while watching it was i actually think star wars does benefit from that kind of storytelling for some reason okay and I don't, I'm not heavy intent anime at all, mm -hmm. but I've always appreciated it. And, you know, I've always had like, you know, a couple of things here and there that I've watched. But uh, I actually like the way Star Wars is being told through that style of animation and storytelling. Yeah. And, and I, I like it. I just, 
for me, I like some of them. Some of them I don't mm-hmm. care anything about, but uh, there's a couple I really, really like, and yeah. I feel like are actually really cool Star Wars mm-hmm. stories. Like they don't quite fit into the Star Wars universe, but they're close enough that you can kind of look at it and go, this would actually be a really cool Star Wars yeah. story. I agree. Um, but it's at the same time, it, it, there, there's some of them, a lot of them really that, that just kind of crossed that line for me of that. I really, I guess what I thought it was going to be was anime, non-canon, but it was still going to be very star Wars that these were going to be sto- stories that were easy to look at as existing within the universe, even though they don't. That was not my expectation actually. And I, and I, and that's, I mean, of course that's not what it is. So my, yeah. my expectations were completely off and that's, <laughs> that's on me. Um, that's not on them doing it that right, way. Right. It's just that I kind of liked the idea of stories that I could look at and go, that would be really cool if it was canon. These stories don't quite work that way because they just, most of these, with the exception of maybe three, the story alone couldn't exist within what we know as Star Wars. Right. Right. But yeah. the those stories I really do enjoy. And I and I really like I'm not a big anime fan, but I do enjoy um the that way that <clears throat> well, I like the way that anime tells stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um some some animated medium leans really heavily on on visual only. Yeah. Some animated styles rely, you know, you get real you know, storytelling like Rebels, where it's just it's just like it was live action, it's just animated. Um Anime is a really interesting combination between the visual and the audible. Right. Um, where you literally get a lot of times an actual storyteller telling you what's happening. And, um, and I enjoy that type of storytelling a lot. And, and I did appreciate that about some of these episodes. Sure. I agree. And you know, the Wachowski brothers use a lot of anime frames and images like that to uh, help tell the story, at least sell the story of the matrix before it was created. I think a lot of the storyboards were very anime inspired and obviously they have their roots in, you know, in, in liking comic books and, and anime and stuff like that. So it, you know, this, I think this last episode, which was called the twins reminded me a lot of the matrix it had mm-hmm. uh, some very, very unique and, and heavy visuals. And you're right, Andrew. I, I think a lot of it is visual storytelling. You know, we have a lot. Sometimes we're used to so much supposition and explaining of characters mm-hmm. talking and saying this and explaining to other characters and the audience that we forget how to uh, absorb uh, themes through just visuals and, and we stop thinking about it. So yeah. I think a lot of people have that problem. Maybe they have, um, you know, lost that, that, that loving feeling as they say, but um, <laughs> I haven't seen all of them yet. I'm mm. uh, working my way through, but you know, so far again, it is what it is, but I'm enjoying it for the most part. Even the ones that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the one with the band members uh, was a little, it was, right. <laughs> it, was it was cute, little, but it was weird. Have you seen episode seven? Episode no, not seven yet. Yet. I haven't no, gotten past five. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think seven might be the one that I'm, that is probably my favorite. To me, it's the most Star Wars of the whole lot. What's it called? Was that the, the Elder? The, the elder? Okay. Because like people are also making a big deal on the, the Bride. The broad one's interesting. Okay. I think that was either f- that's six. six. Yeah, six. six. Yeah. I like the first okay. one, actually. 
Yeah, the first one. A lot was of people bad. seem to really like the first the one. Duel. Like the animation style. I liked the, the one. first one after I went back. It, it it's a little odd as far as one of the things I noticed that I find interesting about the because these these were all done by different studios, mm -hmm. but I noticed some tropes across the board with all of these animators, with a lot of times their dark side their dark side users look like light like we would like we would envision a light side character bright colors um lighter lighter colored clothes light colored hair and their light side users are you know wearing masks you know shrouded in black Interesting. and i i guess it's a i guess it's a cultural thing and i really want to look into that but i noticed that they kind of reverse the tropes from the way we would present them Oh, interesting. Have to look yeah. That. Yeah. Excellent. Any other Star Wars news you guys can think of? Mm. Lucas's sister rail on the <laughs> on the prequels? Oh, ex-ex uh, wife. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what it was. Marsha Lucas. You know, I, I saw that and I went ahead and I ordered that Howard Kazanjian book, mm -hmm. the uh, Rinsler book. And I thought that I read that it was comments that she made in the forward. So once I got it, I, I ripped that package open and uh, skipped over to the forward. And it's a two-page forward by Marsha Lucas, but there's absolutely no mention of the sequel trilogy or uh, killing Han Solo or, or anything that was mentioned mm -hmm. in her quote in the forward. So I'm wondering... You know, again, just, you know, you, you can't believe everything that the yeah. that the Internet says, but there are some people, obviously, that are saying it's it's in the book or whatever. And then Todd uh, from WSTR uh, Galactic Public or Public Access, whatever, he posted an interview where she I guess they were doing a promo tour for the book, mm -hmm. but then it made it seem like she said that during the promo tour of the book and it's not actually in the book. So I'm a little bit confused. There's mm -hmm. people that say that it's actually in the book. I haven't found it yet. And mm -hmm. I just don't know where it's coming from specifically. And obviously, you know, I'd like to do my own research and kind of really <laughs> figure it out to see if, uh, if it's actually something that was said, printed, reported, etc., or if it's the internet, you know, talking out of their ass again. Exactly. Right. Being the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, nevertheless, it's, uh, it is definitely something that interests me from a star Wars fan perspective. Cause I know a lot of people have the same thoughts and, uh, feelings about that. Um, but you know, we talked about this in last week's episode regarding weaponizing opinions. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to me, it's just kind of interesting that this, you know, is coming from, you know, someone that was part of the establishment per right. se that uh that might have uh you know similar opinions to to some star wars detractors uh for lack of a better word but i just find it interesting um any thoughts on that you guys not really i mean you know it, it's one of those things it's kind of whether she said it or not it's kind of it's just one of those things to kind of further drive a wedge mm -hmm. between, you know, in, in the fandom. It's like, what good does this do anybody mm -hmm. at this point? Um, now, of course, it sounds like the comments that she specifically made were she didn't. It doesn't sound like she made them recently. It sounds like they were comments that were made back during the first run, you know, during the uh, early stages of the run of The Force Awakens. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So she said, it sounds like it's something she said before it hit the fan. So right. it's not like she's out there intentionally <clears throat> trying to rile people up, mm-hmm. but it's, it's uh, I just, I don't know that that becoming headline news does anybody any good. I'm going to uh, touch on that topic real fast. Cause I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously at some point, there are so many Star Wars movies now that everyone has an opinion. Before it was just three movies. Okay, they were great, and they're for the most part they were universally loved. Now there's, there's, uh, you know, there's nine movies plus spinoffs, et cetera, et cetera. You know, at some point, obviously, you know, fans are going to have opinions about movies. Do I mm-hmm. like it? Do I hate it? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, uh, you know, what good does it do at this point? But are we saying that we can no longer have opinions about Star Wars movies because it'll drive wedges uh, between the fandom even more? Or at what point do we say, look, we can have opinions. We're all Star Wars fans. Let's just right. enjoy. We all have opinions. But mm-hmm. what what is it? What is that magic formula that stops the wedge from making a I hate this Star Wars versus I love the Star Wars camp. Like why why is there camps? Because uh, because in the age of social media everyone feels like their opinion needs to be validated. Right. Mm. It's um it's one of those things like absolutely we should continue to critique movies, Star Wars or otherwise. Um I mean that is the the crux which western civilization hinges on is the free exchange of ideas and critique is not a bad thing and it's it's really that we've got to get to a point where people don't feel like everyone's opinion needs to match theirs and and i don't know i don't know how you get there or how you get back there um right which makes Makes yeah, makes sense. We've I mean, we have gone too far. I think we have mm-hmm. gone too far when uh, when you know certain accounts are getting death threats um, <laughs> and uh, things like that. It just gets a little ridiculous. And I understand you know people are passionate. We talked about fans that are passionate last week, um, but damn, come on already. We've been given something that we don't fully understand yet and we don't yeah. know how to handle in right. my personal opinion. And technology has ramped up a lot very quickly. And that's yep. the problem. We're not using it responsibly. We don't know how to use it. Yeah. On a related note, today, <laughs> just today, I saw a tweet that I didn't agree with and I kept scrolling. <laughs> You didn't respond. <laughs> You've evol- you're, 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 you're we're evolving. evolving. <laughs> we're evolving. I'm so proud of exactly. you. <laughs> I'm so proud. Look, Lucas's ex-wife has every right to have her opinion, but why yeah. something like this from years ago is coming up now is the issue that I have. Because it now it's buzz. being blown up. That's what's yeah. ridiculous to me. She's yeah. totally entitled to say what she wants to say. Yeah, and she should. A lot of people and, felt that way. Right, and she should say it. It's not that yeah, it's, that opinion shouldn't be out there, but it's being used to drive sales of that book. Exactly. It's about the buzz. Yeah, of course. It's marketing. I guess it worked because I bought a copy. Yeah, well, there you go. What a sucker you are. 
All right, time for the big thank yous, podcast family, to those of you that support the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. Team Scarif gives you all a heartfelt thank you, wonderful people who have found it in their hearts to support our show. We're super lucky to have you. Hello there. Folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89, Joey Rosales, what up, Joey? The Salty Crew at the Salty Nerd Podcast, Alex and Matt. Super fan of many of the Red 5 pods, Nicholas Schaefer. Follow him at Backyard Tardis. What's up, Nick? Our Star Wars celebration friend, Chad, at Hyperspace and Holocrons. Jay from Florida. Our other Floridian, Frank, at the Garrison level. Big thanks. And certainly not least, our executor level patrons, 97 Bravo and the Convergence Podcast. And Scott and Kim from the Used and Abused podcast. Big thanks, you Red Fivers. Go give them a follow. Huge respects to all our patrons for your support. And if you want to become more involved in the Scare of Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash scare of scuttlebutt. And remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. Don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. All right, so getting to our main topic, vigilantes. That's a Spanish word, I think. Isn't it, Shanti? You're asking me? (laughs) Don't let the last name fool you. So let me ask you guys this. Um, mm-hmm. When when I say the word vigilante, what comes to mind? Shanti? Batman. <laughs> Batman. Of course, Batman. But it's such, you know, it's it's such a fine line there. It Andrew, what about line. you? I mean, you know, as far as characters, I mean, I kind of go to Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you think about uh, the comic books and the superheroes that we mm-hmm. all admire and, you know, you kind of think about it and actually, I think, aren't they all vigilantes? Because, yes. you know, coming to, I was doing some research for this episode and the, uh, I guess the definition of vigilante is like someone that acts because they feel that the establishment is no longer effective. And, you know, when it comes to vigilantism, obviously, you know, we think of, uh, you know, Daredevil, we think of Punisher, we think of uh, of Batman, and they are uh, working, um, you know, on the outskirts of of the law, to some yeah. degree. Some more than others. You know, we talk about, you know, someone like the Punisher versus someone like you know Spider Man and Peter mm-hmm. Parker, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 it it definitely is a fine line, but it's uh, a line that not a lot of characters. Uh, you know, cross back and forth. But I wanted to ask you guys, you know, dealing with uh, doing the research on this, I did come across some very old vigilantes, which to me, it really didn't ring a bell. Cause I mean, obviously I, I'm, I'm thinking about the modern stuff, like the characters that we just mentioned, but we've got, you know, Robin hood, we've got Zorro, we've got characters like that. Um, what do you guys think about some of the older characters, the older classic characters uh, when it comes to vigilanteism? Well, I mean, Zorro is the, you know, that's, that's the king of the vigilantes right there. No, no Zorro, no Batman. 
So you tried to get gold out of the country, did you? If you ever again take one peso of mine, I'll cut your throat from ear to ear. I must please ask you to change the subject. His Excellency objects to talk of throat cutting. Quiet you, Popinjay. I've no reason for letting you live either. What a pleasant coincidence. I feel exactly the same way about you, Capitan. You wouldn't care to translate that feeling into action, would you? I might be tempted. If I had a weapon. Like, I mean, it is... It, bat, the whole idea for Batman is pulled directly from Zorro. Um, so those are really important. I mean, Robin Hood, I mean, like, you go back to, you know, a person who more and more historically looks like someone actually existed that this character, that this myth is built around. Like, you know, it's it's not that there aren't real-life vigilantes out there and, and have been... I mean, there's accounts of vigilante acts in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think the old ones are important because those are the ones that we're building everything currently on. And, and Zorro is probably maybe the most important one in cinema, uh, cinema history anyway. I needed that scratch to awaken me. Yeah, so we had uh, The Mark of Zorro in 1920, and if I'm not mistaken, that might have been the f- one of the first movies with him, and it was a black and white silent. Then uh, Robin Hood in 1922, uh, and then it just, you know, the list goes on after that. But what is it about um, vigilantes that really are prevalent in comic book movies? What uh let's kind of deep uh dive into that you know society is what it is and there's a call there's always a call right mm-hmm. and first of all i want to get uh before i forget i want to get both of your vigilante names if you were to uh <laughs> to don uh, a mask and cape shanti you go first Give me time on these things. You just can't ask. No, me. come on. Let's like go. As if I thought about the, this for hours. These are things that you should be always thinking about. Oh, no. yeah, because I can anticipate what's going on in your head, bonkers. <laughs> heck? I don't want to be in your mind, by the way. <laughs> first of all, I got a real problem with the word vigilante because I really don't see what the difference is between Batman and somebody like Captain America. I mean, don't they all operate outside the law to some level? Well, Cap is a soldier. I mean, technically, I mean, he's he's working for the government. I, but, he I, didn't even, but if you're looking at the movies, he didn't even want to sign the accords. He wanted to go completely against it. Oh, Tony's the point. one who wanted to sign up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, to me, vigilante, this is where my mom comes into play. She said, I don't really see what the difference is between a vigilante and a hero. Yeah, it's simply operating outside of the law. So someone like Black Widow is primarily operating as a spy for a government. Right. So she wouldn't fit the definition. Cap fits the definition right up until he refuses to sign the Accords. You're right. right. And he actually kind of takes on his uh, mm-hmm. kind of a different alter ego there for a while. They didn't actually do the name change like he does in the comics. Right. But they did that story. Um, she felt the word had a bad connotation, vigilante. She says it sounds sure. bad, and I really don't see these characters as bad. She doesn't see Batman as bad. Neither do I. I My well, argument was, well, maybe if the cops were doing their job and half of them weren't corrupt themselves by the mob running the show, maybe you wouldn't need vigilantes. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's the, that's the call. <laughs> I mean, that's where society starts up. to fail. Right. right. 
Are there different categories of vigilantes in your mind? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me about it, Andrew. Some are more intense than others. Uh, so I, I, the example I always go to is uh, Daredevil versus the Punisher, mm-hmm. where one of them has the motivation. His motivation, Daredevil, is the embodiment of justice. Mm-hmm. That's why he's blind. It's literally the justice is blind oh, uh, yeah, yeah. trope. Right, right. So his whole thing is that's that's where he's going with it is to do what the legal system can't accomplish or where a flawed legal system is failing he's going to see that justice is done um and then you take someone like the punisher and he is the physical embodiment of vengeance and he there's almost no line that someone like the punisher won't cross in order to exact that vengeance uh, it's not really so much about justice. Um, it, it's it's about death and destruction. It's it's not a punishment. It's 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 he's more interested. The Daredevil's far less likely to kill someone than the Punisher. The Punisher's not going to have any qualms about that. So yeah, I think it ultimately boils down to they're all obviously operating outside the law. That's what mm-hmm. makes them a vigilante. But you know, Batman. Batman doesn't kill. Batman wants to see people, these villains locked up. Right. Um, where you have other characters who aren't going to allow the, the, allow the legal system or whoever's in charge to have any say, they're just going to deal with it. Right. Well, one of my favorite movies that was in the notes was V for Vendetta. And that's more of like on the political side of things. Yeah. And talk about really, <laughs> working outside of the law. I mean, you could, I mean, plenty of people could make the argument that everything that he did in those movies were in that movie was totally horrible, but at the same point, this is an entire city and world that's being oppressed right now. So I'm kind of on board with what he's got going on. Defiant to the end. uh... You won't cry like him, will you? You're not afraid of death. You're like me. The only thing that you and I have in common, Mr. Creedy, is we're both about to die. How do you imagine that's going to happen? With my hands around your neck. Bollocks. What are you going to do, huh? We've swept this place. You've got nothing. Nothing but your bloody knives and your fancy karate gimmicks. We have guns. No, what do you have are bullets? And the hope that when your guns are empty, I'm no longer standing. Because if I am, you'll all be dead before you've reloaded. That's impossible. Kill him. I think Americans in particular mm-hmm. kind of have a thing for vigilantes because it's kind of our origin, right? Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's kind of our story, you know, it's, yeah, you know, that begins with, you know, marching to the Harbor and throwing the, the tea overboard mm-hmm. and, um, Take your tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll build a rebellion. And speaking of rebellion, I mean, uh, you know, uh, let's, uh, Let's talk about, um, you know, you, you said you mentioned V from Vendetta and all the horrible things that were done by that character uh, to affect change. You know, there's there's an extremeness to, to his activities and mm-hmm. you see it in some vigilante characters. I'm going to bring up Saw Gerrera 
from right. Star Wars, you know, he definitely wanted to change the galaxy uh, by fighting the oppression of the Empire. Um, he didn't want to do it the easy way, like the, the the rebels that we know from the original trilogy, Star Wars. He wanted to really send a message mm-hmm. um, that, you know, him and his followers don't play around. Um there are certain lines that certain vigilantes will will definitely cross. You know, you guys mentioned uh, V for Vendetta. We've got mm-hmm. Saw Gerrera. We've got the the Punisher. Um, do you guys feel like like that's a, a, a good thing? And, and that kind of goes into the question of is violence always necessary to affect change? Do these vigilantes have a right or a point to, to do so? I mean, I would say historically, the most effective tool of change is violence. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, It it may or may not be the most desirable way to affect change. Mm -hmm. But where you see the biggest changes in human history have all been around violence. There's a reason why Um, it exists. (laughs) And I think characters like Saul Guerrero or V in V for Vendetta are willing to that you know especially because the idea of 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 they're they're kind of next level vigilantes because it's you know like batman is operating where he sees that the law is failing mm-hmm. but he still works in conjunction with law enforcement where because it's not that he's not fighting against the people that are in charge the 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 politicians, the police, those people he's fighting against the villains. But when you're fighting against when the government, the people in charge are the enemy, then I think you see a character like Saw or V in that they're more willing to step their game up to much higher levels because of the terrible things being wrought by those corrupt governments. Everyone! These have been hard years. We've lost comrades. Friends, family, to the Empire. Dark times. And yet the fire still burns. Hope still burns. It's like Darth Vader wipes will wipe out a, a civilization, wipe it, wipe out the people of a planet. Um, it's what I think we're going to see. So I, I really, in, in casting Andor, you asked about that earlier. One of the things that I want to see, I want to see what Saw did that was so bad that the rebels could no longer affiliate with him. Because I'm a fa- I'm I, I expect because I expect him to have done something measure for measure with something Vader did because he's always been a parallel Vader anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect something along the lines of full-blown genocide. Yeah. And we, you know, we see that in the rebels where he is willing to, to kill that last, uh, that last, uh, Geonosin just to get, uh, an answer from him. Yeah. And, uh, he's a very interesting character. I, I, I think he's one of my favorites, uh, in, in new star Wars and, and, and all the yeah. new, the animated stuff. So it, it would, be interesting to see and i know he had done some terrible things in rebel rising the book um in order to uh to assassinate a i think a a general or or a territory uh 
I think was uh, either an imperial representative um, at a gala. There were hundreds of spectators, hundreds of um, just, you know, civilians that uh, he bombed the hell out of that platform and killed a couple hundred of civilians with like shrapnel. And it was really it was described pretty, uh, pretty ruthlessly in the book. And uh, if like you're saying, you know, he did that, he did that time and time again, then I'm sure that would be, you know, something to kind of uh, discuss our friends, the rebels. So let's set the stage for one of my later questions with Batman in that world. um, I guess we talked about it a little bit. I was going to say, why was Batman needed? Um, there was greater change that was needed. Gotham had crime, a universal need to cleanse the city from that ailment. And these are motivations from a vigilante that are a little bit more global. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also have characters like the crow and specifically at the time, you know, Peter Parker and Spider-Man um, where let's go to the crow. He was, a vigilante per se, but he was seeking vengeance from the people that, uh, that killed him and his fiance. Um, so is, uh, does motivation come into play? Is it a big factor on these characters? Uh, why or why not? My first instinct is to say for me, motivation is definitely a factor. The moment you said, you know, that he was doing that, you know, out of revenge, essentially, not, I mean, I love the crow, but the moment you say that, that already takes me out of, he's not a vigilante. He's not a superhero of any kind. He's just somebody that's really angry that has been wronged himself and is going through some really bad pain. And I totally get it. I understand the psychology behind wanting to get revenge. But at that point, I don't know if I can call him a vigilante because you're doing it for your own selfish reasons now in a sense you you are helping out in a way because you're ridding still the world of these horrific people but i don't know i don't know why for some reason something about the motives does change my perspective interesting so uh andrew what about you i mean i do think that it affects how far a character will go um and again to go back to the Punisher, you know, you go to a character that has, that at least feels like he has nothing left. Like he fully expects to die doing the thing that he's doing. And if you've already crossed that line, if you've already gone there mentally, there's really nothing you won't do. Uh, um, it's kind of that it, it's, it's the thing that, you know, that, that idea that you have nothing left, it's what drives Anakin to the dark side. Right. He lost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that idea, you know, the Punisher, his family's all murdered. That was all he lived for. So, you know, it's I, I do think that the the motivation um, really affects how far you're willing to go or how far you will go because there's nothing weighing on your conscience about it. And there's uh, there's always uh, a gray ambiguity to their morality. You know, mm-hmm. again, we're, we're, we're comparing the Punisher uh, to... Um, maybe someone that also had revenge in his heart, like Peter Parker, mm-hmm. who, uh, after, you know, finding out that this burglar was the one that killed his, his uncle Ben, he went after him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for someone like the Punisher who had a very similar instance, I guess, um, 
there's definitely an, uh, a very distinct difference between the two characters. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when it comes to the Punisher, you know, he went off and just, you know, I mean, talk about, you know, bloody murder versus someone like Peter Parker. Peter Parker does actually, or Spider-Man per se, really does allow the system to kind of take over after he's caught them. The Punisher's mm -hmm. like, no, you know, I'm loading my Glock and you're done. Um, right. so it kind of, uh, it kind of shows us that perhaps that, that, that due process isn't important enough to wait for, for some characters versus, you know, someone like Spider-Man where, you know, he'll just web them up and hang them on a lamppost and put a sign on them for the, for the cops to find, you know? Um, so it's interesting, you know, putting on that mask and looking for ones to punish. It's, uh, it, it's definitely kind of plays with your head when, your experiences motivate you based on what you, what you lived through, right. especially in those two instances. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I think that the whole idea of, of a vigilante is, is really interesting. And when we look at it, the, you know, historically, when we take it out of the comic book or the TV show and look at it across history, it's uh, when you go to Europe during the dark ages, you know, the personal wars where it's, you know, a personal war was basically the 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 old dark age European version of a feud, and you know, here in the early days of the United States, where you just have two families that someone wronged someone else, mm -hmm. and those families go to war with each other for years. There's no, you know, no ruling uh, system placing you know there to fix it, so they fix it themselves. Um, when you look at characters. Um, you know, in the history of this of this country, people like uh, James and Fres uh, James or Jesse and Frank James are widely looked at, or at least were at a stage when they were doing the things they did, where it was looked at as vigilante justice. Um, you know, of course, all they were really doing was using using that as to have people sort of uh, give the thumbs up to the crimes they were committing. Um, but I mean, Frank and Jesse James were, were robbing, it was right after the, the end of the civil war and in people's eyes, they were still fighting a war that was already over. Mm -hmm. And so in the South, they were widely looked at as, you know, as vigilante heroes. Uh, even, even people like, um, like Billy the Kid was was idolized. I, I think that there's a lot of really interesting historical stuff surrounding the whole idea of vigilante justice. And it's very interesting to me. Um, people love a good vigilante story, whether it be real or fictional. And in times like these that we live through, and it always seems like everyone, no matter what time you're living in, says... Oh, you know, we can really sure use a hero that maybe, you know, works outside the system. And it, it's, it, I guess it always, I guess it's always that bad yeah. for us to, to really need the, the hope of a vigilante or the, uh, you know, the, the expertise of someone that gets it done outside the lines of, of the normal way of doing things. Um, but like, you know, nowadays, 
and again, I'm going to get back to that question. Uh, what would your vigilante name be? But we do need, sometimes you feel like you do need to kind of put on a cape and go out there and, and fight for some sort of justice somewhere. Yeah. Because we, uh, you know, lately we see just, you know, BS after BS after BS. And uh, where is the Batman? <laughs> But what do you think it is about vigilante stories that resonates with people so much? I think it's the, more personal. Maybe so. But it's it's this whole idea. Like, they resonate with people the same way pirates do. Right. Sure. Like, you there's know, a certain what, cool what factor, too. Yeah, there, there's a certain we like visual. Anarchy. Yeah, we like the anarchy behind it. Is it uh, is it the anarchy or is it that? If you're talking like, about pirates. Yeah, that's anarchy. They definitely the, live well, outside of it. Uh, I mean, and again, it mean, also depends on which vigilante you're talking about, too. I think it's also a kind of a romanticized version yeah, of absolutely. of a, of characters, you know, especially in that vigilante, you know, category. I think mm-hmm. the the romanticized uh, sexiness. You know, we talked about vampires. Why do you know people like vampires? They're just they're mysterious and sexy, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I think some of it is that like I don't I, I don't know if this is a way people feel, but I suspect it is that so that everyone has a moment in their life where they look and say, "I wish I could do something about that." Yeah, like absolutely. Um, but I mean, a lot of the pirates were technically vigilantes. A lot of them were fighting for, I mean, heck, that's what I went and pulled uh, the Republic of Pirates off my shelf because uh, when you talk about anarchy, like the pirates, the big, the big known pirates actually founded the first Republic in, in, in this hemisphere. Um, it didn't last long because it was under constant attack, but um, basically the American dream, the, the American democracy begins with the pirates. And, you know, fighting against the same thing that ultimately our founders fought against. And, uh, do what? We need to do an episode on pirates. Oh, I love pirates. Me too. Uh, about, about half a shelf back there is, is all pirates. So nice. Um, but I, I think that, I think that those things resonate with people because it's like, who wouldn't at some point want to like, sees an injustice and says, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like that desire to, to fix it. And I think that's why stories like that resonate so well. I agree. And I think it's quick justice. It's a quick resolution where, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, you know, through the justice system, you take, uh, you know, years and years to litigate and go through a case and find right. someone either guilty or that. Our yeah. justice system is not perfect. You know how many innocent people go away and, don't come out until years later. So it's not, it's not even about that, about swiftness. Sometimes the legal system just gets it wrong all together. And yeah, we want instant karma. Right. And of course that's the whole thing with a vigilante is that mm-hmm. in their mind, they are fighting for justice or for a just cause, but it's, it's not obsession. always that it's not always true. It's a, sometimes it's a perceived injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you end up, I mean, because honestly, when you look at characters, characters like the Joker, he's doing the same thing, 
but we don't think about him that way because he falls on the other side of the aisle because it's more self-serving. It's more, you know, a little, you know, a more corrupt idea behind it. And, but he's doing the same thing. He's looked Mm -hmm. at a perceived injustice and acted. Hey, this is Todd Hoffman from WSTR Galactic Public Access. If you're looking for more butt in your scuttle or more scuttle in your butt, then you need to look no further than listening to this Scare Scuttle Butt podcast. Check out Roe, Brad, and Chantel every week or every other week or whenever Roe feels like putting out an episode that's where you're going to get the best scuttle for your butt or the butt for your scuttle. Check it out. And that's the scuttle butt. Time for a giveaway. <laughs> we are going to give, yeah, we're going to give away the digital code, uh, digital movie code for DC Universe's the Batman Soul of the Dragon. And I know you guys can't uh, see what I'm holding up, but it's uh, <laughs> looks really cool. Looks very 70s. It's a Blu-ray. It's a. Uh... <laughs> well, do people have DVD players anymore? I still have. That's mine, why. But... That's why we're giving away the digital code, young lady. <laughs> but I need help with a question, a Batman question, Uh-oh. since it's a Batman story. So. Uh... Something not so easy. I'm looking at easy, oh, easy Batman trivia questions. What role did the creator's wife have in the Tim Burton and Schumacher movies? What role did the wife? Let's see. Creator of Batman is Bob Kane, correct? Yeah. What role and did there's... his wife have in one of the Tim Burton and both of the Schumacher movies? All right, so go ahead and uh, restate the question <laughs> and uh, ask people to. I'll add, I'll I'll do the email. You'll do the email. I'll do the email. You just ask the question. Okay. What role did Bob Kane's wife play in the Joel Schumacher Batman movies? And I mean Bob Kane as in the creator of Batman. Ooh, you heard that question. If you know the answer, send us an email over at scarefscuttlebutt at gmail.com and we will pick a random winner for the digital movie code of Batman Soul of the Dragon. Looks pretty damn good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on episode 82 of the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Vigilantes. Good talk. Good talk. Shanti, mm-hmm. what'd you think of the vigilant? Did you get everything that your mother wanted to say about vigilantes out? Uh, yeah, I think the only other thought that I had, that, or I should say that she had, because I'm going to give her credit was that she actually finds the word vigilante and hero to be interchangeable. But huh. she would not she would not 
feel that it's interchangeable with the word superhero. She finds superhero to be a whole other word in itself. Huh. Sit on that one for a while. I will. Although I think I'm, oh, I'm gonna have to disagree slightly. I, you know, it, you know, uh, that's like one she of those... thinks she thinks a superhero is more supernatural with powers and things. So she's thinking of like Superman as to where a vigilante is somebody regular like Batman, but right. you can also consider him to be a hero because of what he does. Right. No, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to think about that one. What about you, Andrew? Do you agree with that assessment? I, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, hero, I don't know, because the, the idea that, and I have read this thing kind of preparing for tonight, read a lot of stuff and saw a lot of people saying that, well, you, a lot of people's idea of a vigilante is someone that's not super, you know, not super powered. Um, but I don't know that that necessarily has to be true. Right. Um, I mean, we, I think, I think, because I think you can look at the X-Men and find a few that would fit the, uh, category of, of both of, of mm-hmm. a super powered individual and a vigilante. Um, I mean, there's good chunks of time where I think you can say that that's Wolverine. Right. I yeah. So I don't know. I mean, but the, the, the kind of the relationship of the words, you know, mm-hmm. talking heroes, superheroes, vigilantes, because I think there's a lot of crossover between those things. Right. Yeah. Um, Mom, next time you got to leave us a voicemail, give us a call at the Scare Scuttlebutt hotline, 773-234-8659. That's what you got to do, Mom. Stop being a coward. <laughs> or come on the show. We'd love to have no, you. That's not going to happen. Give <laughs> right. up on that one. That's fine. <laughs> Andrew, what do you guys have uh, rolling up next on the uh, on all of your podcasts? Well, as soon as uh, I can get, I'm, I'm having to wait on Daniel to do visions. He really, really wants to talk about visions. So, um, if he can't get some internet, he's going to have to drive up here. He make the two hour drive up here and record with me. But um, at some point here, pretty quick, we are going to talk at length about about visions. Um. On the other show coming up this week on the Science Fictionary podcast, we are going to do our full rankings of the MCU. Nice. I have refused to do it for a while because there's so many films. <laughs> yeah. Um, where I got to the point where I was just, and I still do this, like when we did our uh, Shang-Chi review, it's basically, does it crack your top five? <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, because when I start ranking them, I find myself putting them in tears. Yeah, and just too many. It's like, because some of them, it's like, I don't feel stronger about one movie than the other, but they're like kind of all on the same tier with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, David had, David said that he already had his full rankings done. So wow. uh, the rest of us are going to do that and, and see what happens. Sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. And of course, you can find all of us on the Red 5 Network, where you can find us, Scarif Podcast, Science Fictionary, Coruscant Radio Underground, and uh, Shanti's new side gig. <laughs> Alan Press Play, another member of our Red Five Network. You mm-hmm. guys, uh, 
you guys are doing some good stuff over there. I'm glad you uh, were able to uh, say yeah. yes and uh, help him out. Yeah. Good show. Yeah. My Red Five side piece. <laughs> like I said, the rest of us over at the Red Five Network, you can find us there. Hit us up. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for joining us. This is a good talk. Yep. Had a blast. This is Ro and Shanti and Andrew tonight on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Brad, stay safe wherever you are. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to Red5network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. <laughs>